Hello, friends. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160 The Quest. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, Jack Tyson, and of course, on the phone with us, we have Father Jim Blunt from the Society of the Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And today, you know what? I can't even summarize what we're going to be all talking about today. We're going to talk about so many different things. So just get ready, you guys. It's going to be a great show today. So Father Jim, you know all good things start in prayer. So would you lead us in a prayer? Thank you, Anna. Why don't we begin with the Angelus team and our beautiful listeners, which is always the celebration of the Incarnation, the celebration of our Savior taking the human flesh and and saving us this way. So in honor of the Incarnation, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, And she she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Please pray for us, most holy Mother of God, that that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and his cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As As it was was in the beginning, beginning, is now, now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of Divine Providence, pray pray for us. Our Lady of the Divine Will, pray for us. Our Lady of America, pray Pray for us. Bring us victory, my beautiful Lord Jesus, to this country and to the world, through the prayers of your most holy mother and Saint Joseph. And bless this broadcast, O Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back, Father Blunt. Uh, we are so excited that you're back. We all missed you last week. We had, a, as our listeners will recall, we had an encore presentation of one of our favorite hours, and it was it was powerful. We always like having you in person. So we're glad, and you're joining us, I think, from uh, California. That's right. <laughs> I'm usually in a different city or state or country every week. So now I'm in California, somewhere near Oakland. 
and um, at a place called Good Shepherd Catholic Church, good friends of mine, and uh, we're having some beautiful times of ministry here in California. Should be heading back to Georgia this weekend. Wonderful, wonderful. I know you'll be glad to get back. Well, Father, this week, what we had, one of our main topics is really to continue our discussion about living in the divine will. And I believe the last time that we met, uh, we stopped and we're on day four. And day four of the novena is the spouse of the divine will. And I thought I'd start with just the quote for that day and then maybe relate it to some some of this beautiful things that are happening this week. So um, the the quote is um, how it had been reserved that the doors of the divine will would be open to Louisa, the divine will acting alone in the three distinct persons wants to act alone in three distinct persons on earth. So as we think about that, before we start talking about divine will, maybe you could relate how that quote ties back into what happened last night, that beautiful, um, ceremony with uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Yes, um, I was really um, blessed. I had a little free time in the evening, and one of my team alerted me by texting that I could watch it, the swearing-in ceremony, by YouTube, because I don't normally have television. I don't have it here either. So I was able to catch it and watch it in real time. And I have to tell you, perhaps for you too, team, uh, it was emotional. As I watched it, I became emotional. I was in the middle of praying some rosaries, and I, I would pray a decade and stop and listen, and then pray another decade and listen. It was very emotional. And um, it occurred to me, it was like a conviction, that as of last night, we have reached a turning point for the better in our country, a Yay. tipping point. Yay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Something, we need it. It was fantastic what happened. And it must be said, we just say this right off the bat, we have the most pro-life president in the history of the nation, the most pro-life president in the history of the nation. And God is using this this gentleman for great things. And so last night, it seems like maybe the nail was being put in the coffin of this pro-abortion, pro-death movement in our world and in our country. So it was very, very emotional. It ties in very much with today's meditation for the divine will, where the Lord says categorically to to Louisa and to us through her holy book, the book is called the Book of Heaven, how it had been reserved for Louisa that these doors would be opened. And this is the main point of today's meditation, is that the fate of nations and the fate of our families, by the way, and our individual fates. Our lives, our futures are in the hands of divine providence, in the hands of God. God guides the fate of nations based on whether we say yes or no to him. He has a plan and even a backup plan. But everything has been reserved in God's plan. He knows what's happening. He knows what he permits. will go on only so far. And as St. John Vianney said, the devil himself is like a barking dog on a leash. He can only go so far. So last night with the swearing in of Judge Barrett or Justice Barrett, it, it comes across that God's plan is operative. Mother Mary said that in the end, her immaculate heart would triumph. And believe me, brothers and sisters, how in the world can we ever even dare to say those words if we allow even one beautiful, unborn image of God Almighty, one unborn child, 
to be slaughtered in the mother's womb. Even one, even one, even one baby to be killed with our emphatic yes. In order for Mary's Immaculate Heart to triumph, every single abortion must come to an end. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's never right. Never, to put it mildly, it's never right. It's, it's mortal sin, it's criminal, and it's satanic. We can never kill even one child. I remind our listeners of the amazing story from the life of St. Padre Pio. When a woman came to Padre for her confession, she found the grace and the courage to go to confession. And he had to help her, as he was known to do, by reading her heart and her soul. He had to help her to bring out into the light the abortion that she had committed. And you know what Padre Pio told her? No. I don't know why. He must have been guided by the Holy Spirit. But he said, Mama, the baby that you aborted was destined by God to be the Pope. <gasps> wow. Oh, my oh. gosh. This is an absolutely true story. Your baby was destined to be the Pope, the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth. Mm. It's a horrible story, but there's also something of magnificence about it in this, that God has planned every human life. There, no one is an accident. No one is simply a probability that every one of us has been chosen by God and planned eons in advance, every single one of us. And we can never kill even one baby whatsoever. Amen? Amen. Amen. You see, what's happened is we've gotten used to it. Mm-hmm. We've gotten used to it. So we even have horror of horrors, deep horror of deep horror. We even have candidates for public office calling themselves Catholic, which means you're a disciple of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ call themselves Catholic, and are completely pro-murder, pro-abortion. It's almost unbelievable. The Bible says in the final days, they will call what is good evil, and what is evil they will call good. And so we have this horror, this tragedy, this confusion, this demonic state right now, where we can call ourselves Catholic and be for the slaughter of millions and millions and millions of babies. Well, this is nothing less than diabolical, and it's coming to an end. And as of last night, we've rounded a corner all of these years that so many of us, we've been praying and fasting for decades, some of us. Every single Mass that I pray, and I'm sure I'm not the only priest who does this, every single Mass in public or in private, one of our intentions is always in our intercessions for an end to abortion. It must come to an end. Well, brothers and sisters, we have definitive proof as of last night that Jesus and Mary have heard our prayers. We have sworn into the highest court in the land, an amazing Catholic pro-life intelligent woman to be our next Supreme Court justice. This is nothing, this is nothing less than miraculous. Everything was done to try to stop it, but it went through almost easily in one sense, almost easily. And so there is a plan. The time of darkness has had its day, you might say, and now it's time for the Son of Justice to arise. And what comes to my mind is, was referenced in an article that I read just this morning. 
by another Catholic priest. I forget his name right now. I read it very quickly. But it brought to my mind the amazing vision of Pope Leo XIII, our saintly pontiff back in the late 1800s, who, as probably our listeners know by now, Pope Leo XIII had a public vision. He went into a trance during a Mass. And the Holy Father, Pope Leo, had already celebrated his Mass for the day. But he was now attending, not celebrating, but attending a second Mass that morning as a form of thanksgiving. That was an old practice. Some people still do it. It was an old practice. So the Holy Father was attending a second Mass as a thanksgiving for his Mass that he had celebrated. During that second Mass that he was attending, he went into a trance. It was very unusual. It happened in public. And, of course, when he awakened, he told um, um, his, his friends who were with him, his, his bodyguards and the bishops and priests and monsignors who were attending him, that he needed to go to his private quarters. They were very concerned for him. What happened was so unusual. And he didn't reveal to them until later what had happened, that he had this vision where he saw or heard. There's two different versions of this story, whether he saw it or he heard it or both. But he heard Satan challenging God. And he asked God for more time to destroy the church, really to destroy the world. If you destroy the church, you destroy the world. And he asked God for more time, and the Lord accepted his challenge and said, you have the time, you have the power. So I was like, do your worst. It's your, it's your turn. You do what you can. And so Satan was unleashed on the public. Pope Leo XIII said that he understood it to be approximately 100 years that the devil would be given. And, of course, Pope Leo's vision occurred on October the 13th, 1884. And exactly 33 years later to the day, Our Lady and St. Joseph and the baby Jesus appeared in Fatima, and the sun danced and fell from the sky in front of more than 70,000 people, the greatest public miracle in world history. And Our Lady had warned the children that a great error was about to emerge out of Russia, a great error. And if the country is not consecrated, no specifically and perfectly, that the errors would spread throughout the world. Well, you know, until now, um, we've understood that really to be communism. Right. And now it's spreading through our country. Mm. It's been all over the world. But communism, by the way, always includes first an attack on the Roman Catholic Church. All Christian churches are destroyed under communism. They're attacked and burned to the ground. They actually go after the priests and bishops and religious to kill them. First they attack the church, then they attack the family. It's under communism that we have the breakup of the family and really perversion with what's called homosexual marriages. That's an impossibility. But the promotion of homosexuality and other practices that destroy natural, holy marriage. But also, it was not well known, and I realized this morning as I read this article, that abortion first emerged from communist Russia. It was Russia was the first country in the world to legalize abortion. Wow. <laughs> and what's even more amazing is that abortion was legalized in communist Russia in the year 1920. And Pope Leo ago. talked about 100 years will be given to Satan. Abortion is what empowers Satan to spread communism 
to spread perversion, to spread anti-Christianity and atheism. All this is empowered by abortion. Communist Russia, almost like the one sacrament of the communist nations, their only sacrament is abortion, killing unborn children. Apparently it was legalized in November of 1920. It was legalized. And now 100 years later, we have the beginning of the ending of abortion as of last night. Amen. 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 You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, Father. It's really significant. Yeah. Go ahead. Watching uh, last night, it, it was almost like watching a sporting event. You know, you're, you're rooting for the good guys to win. And, uh, and of course, we knew the good guys were going were gonna to win. But we were sitting there literally cheering as, as, as votes were um, as votes were coming in. So on one side of the coin, I, I was I was kind of proud of the process. You know, we have a process that allows somebody like Justice Barrett to to become elected and play a significant role in in government. You know, and and on the other side, you know, I was I was almost em, embarrassed watching you know how how some of the um, voting was was taking place. But, uh, you know, but the bottom line is the, the ultimate result is the right person. I mean, she she had St. Saint, Saint Michael the Archangel defending her in battle. Oh, yeah. You know, she she was she fought off everything and they couldn't attack her. They, they could attack the process. You know, hey, it's too quick. It's too close to the election, all this kind of stuff. But I, I don't think there's a anybody in their right mind can say anything negative about her as a, as a person and, and as a candidate for that job. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the choice of this, this beautiful young woman has been splendid. I mean, it, it seemed to be to descend from the heavens, descend from above, how the Lord would inspire our president to nominate such a one. And what's even more amazing is that the woman she was replacing, um, how God called her home on the Jewish New Year's. She was a Jewish woman. He called home this justice right before the election. He could have waited like a month or two. Mm-hmm. But our Lord called her home right before this election to give, you might say, um, our pro-life president another opportunity to display to the world just how pro-life he is, but to replace a, a justice who was the, the, perhaps the most pro-death, pro-abortion justice in the history of the country with another woman who's perhaps the most pro-life justice in the history of our country. Now, this has to be the hand of God, the phenomenal balancing here, where the darkness is coming to an end and the light is beginning to dawn. But who could have chosen a better possible candidate, a woman to replace a woman, but a pro-life justice to replace a pro-death justice, an intelligent woman to replace an intelligent woman? Something phenomenal has occurred here, and even the timing of the death of one justice who was Jewish on the Jewish New Year's, and then replaced by another justice who is, you might say, um, a a Christian Jew. Now, there's the Catholic faith, the Christian faith is the fulfillment of Judaism, the fulfillment of Judaism. So all of this is really quite phenomenal, and we thank God and Our Lady. Our Lady whispers to us that, you see, church, she says, my beautiful sons and daughters, this is the fruit of your prayers. Hold on to your rosaries. Keep praying your rosaries and fasting. This is what I can do 
when you empower me through your prayers, this is what we can do. Our Lady is in charge, and we are really, in a certain sense, by God's grace, part of this victory. Our prayers have been heard, and I believe we're just getting started. I think we're just getting started on a victory. I believe last night was a turning point and a tipping point in the history of our country and in the history of the world. Amen. Amen. He's yeah. definitely a confidence builder. That's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. That's well, awesome. So, Father, I guess this would transition a little more to the writings of Louisa uh, and on that same topic of uh, the spouse of the divine will. You know, we think when we look at the Blessed Mother, there's not a better imitator of God, of living in God's will. And, and in this passage, it talks about that sh- her she joined the Trinity um, in in the will of the divine of, of God's will. And so um, Louisa's being called to do the same. And so uh, I guess all of us are really called to live in the divine will. And um, I wondered if you would like comment on that. Yes. You know, what seems to be happening here with this, this new devotion, um, the Lord is, is spreading the knowledge of this devotion now around the world. And, of course, our viewers and our listeners need to know that this, this book and this revelation has two sets of imprimaturs. The second set coming from the Vatican. So these are fully and completely approved revelations, you might say. Private revelations, but of utmost importance. Private revelation, by the way, doesn't mean disposable. That isn't what private revelation means. It just means that the source of where it comes from is different than public revelation. It's coming to one individual person for a particular time in history. But it doesn't mean that private revelation is somehow second-rate or disposable. A private revelation, if listened to and accepted and followed, means nothing less than the eternal salvation, sometimes of millions and millions of souls. Like divine mercy is a private revelation. Who in the world would discard that as second-rate? And so private revelations, especially in this tumultuous time we're living in today, becomes unbelievably important to guide God's holy church, you might say to guide the public revelation in the right direction. So this is a private revelation of incredible importance. The theologians have reviewed it. One of them, by the way, is now a canonized saint, St. Hannibal de Francia. He was Luis's spiritual director. This appears to be the highest mystical theology in the 2,000-year history of the Roman Catholic Church. And one of the distinctions is being made here that our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he's the one that makes the distinction in the Book of Heaven when he speaks to Louisa. He talks about how the saints, indeed, that's why they're saints, they have done my will, he says. But he makes this amazing distinction. In a certain sense, maybe it's the most important distinction in all of these beautiful revelations that are for us. It's time for us now to receive these revelations and to live them, the entire universal church. This is the plan for the future, for the age of the triumph. But the Lord tells Miss Louisa, my saints have done my will, but they have not entered into it. They've done it, but not entered into it. And so there's a hint here, you see, that we can do God's will, you might say, from the outside. 
And the Lord says, no, let's enter into the inside of my will. And in a way, this is what God has been to reveal to us. There's a special gift here that only up until now the Virgin Mary understood and lived. Not just doing God's will, like from the outside, almost like a performance, but doing it from the inside. So the Lord said, the saints have not entered into my will to do all that my will does. When you enter into God's will, something new is possible. So he says, when you enter into my will, you do all that my will does, taking all acts as though in a twinkling of an eye, from the first to the last man, and becoming actors, spectators, and divinizers. When you enter into my will, he's saying, you enter into my power, and my will is timeless. My will extends from the first man, Adam and Eve, to the very last one who ever lived on the earth, all of these are encompassed within my will. When you enter my will, he says, you are entering into the drama of salvation, the drama of history. You are entering into everything. And so the Lord says, by doing my will, one does not arrive at doing all that my eternal volition contains. Rather, it descends into the creature as limited when I do God's will, as much as the creature can contain of it. So when I do his will, his will begins to enter me, but it's limited because I'm limited. But when I enter into the will, I enter into the limitlessness of God himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's something new here, you see. So I'm not just doing God's will from the outside and even allowing his will to enter me, but now I'm entering into his will. I mean, I would put it this way, very simply. I'm entering into God. I'm entering into God. So the Lord says, only one who enters into my will expands and diffuses himself like solar light in the eternal flight of my volition. Volition is a, is a theological word for his will. So the one who enters my will expands and diffuses himself. We become bigger, like solar light, he says. We enter into the eternal flight of my volition. And finding my acts and those of my mama, he places his own acts there. So everything Jesus and Mary have ever done, and everything God himself has ever done, is in his will because his will is timeless. We enter into everything that has ever been done. And the Lord says, look inside my will. Pretty amazing here. He says, has anybody else ever entered? No, only me and my mother have entered into this holy will. And now he says, I'm inviting you, Louisa, to enter with my mother and with myself into my holy will. And he says, reaching up to the first act and the last act ever to be performed on this earth, you will enter into all of this. No one has ever entered. It has been reserved, he says, that the doors of my eternal volition would only be open to my little daughter, that's you, Louisa, so as to unify her acts with mine and with those of my mama. And then he says, this way I can open the doors to others to enter after you. You are opening the door, Louisa, for my Christian people to enter and they will enter after you into my will. 
Can you imagine being surrounded by the very life of God himself? So this new devotion to divine will is not simply about doing God's will. It's about entering into his will. This is something significant. It's like raising everything up to a higher level. It's like God giving us the secret to his heart and to Mother Mary's heart. It is not just doing God's will, but living within God's will so that his will becomes my life. His very will becomes my life. And so it's not something external. One of the difficulties of, you might say, what we've been used to so far is that doing God's will is kind of external, and it makes me lonely. Like I'm trying to do God's will, almost like a performance for God, to try to do his, which is not bad, to do his holy will. But Lord says, don't stay on the outside. I don't want you just to do what I want you to do. I want to do it with you, and you do it with me. Come, enter my heart, enter my will. We'll do it together. You'll do it through me, and I'll do it through you. It's a kind of a unity between God and man, a unity. And this is really bringing to the fore what the church has always taught, even Thomas Aquinas, that man is made to be divinized, to be divinized, that we become truly, you might say, godly, because of God's gift, not on our own, God wants to make us godly. Well, that makes sense. A kangaroo has baby kangaroos. A dog has puppies, <laughs> right? A cat has kittens, right? Uh-huh. But God, what does he have? Well, that's a good question. Jesus himself said, I call all of you gods because that's what you are. And so God, with a capital G, is creating us to be sons and daughters of God. There's something divine about what God is giving to us. We call it in theology a participation. We participate. God is God by essence. We become godly by participating. But no longer on the outside. He wants us to come inside of his own heart and his own will. And you might say have the same blood pumping through us and the same spirit and the same will that he has. Truly sons and daughters of God. Not externally, even internally. We are truly divinized, is the word that the Catholic Church uses. Even in the Catechism, we are divinized. So the very will and power and love and joy of God enters into us through this new devotion. Alleluia. Alleluia. Well, listeners, it's time for a quick break, so hang tight. We'll be back with more from Heaven's Light with Father Jim Blunt. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Think of the most famous unplanned pregnancy. Mary, a poor unmarried teenager, accepted God's will for her life. Her unplanned pregnancy brought us the Savior of the world. Just as Mary said yes to life, the mothers of Tim Tebow, Beethoven, Nick Cannon, and JP2 all rejected abortion for their child. Yet all of them have impacted the world through their lives. To the families feeling burdened by an unplanned pregnancy, have faith in God's plan. All babies are made in the image and likeness of God. Let every child be born for the birth of every child changes the world. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. 
1160 The Quest is listening to you, too. One listener shared. I don't know what I would do without The Quest. Every day I get an update on the Catholic Church and hear inspiring stories. I thought I knew a lot about my faith, but I'm learning something new every time I tune in. I feel connected to a larger Catholic community. If you're enjoying the station, please consider supporting us with a donation. Go online to thequestatlanta.com. What do quasi-Christian sects like Jehovah's Witnesses and Star Wars have in common? They all talk about a force. For these sects, the impersonal force is the Holy Spirit. They believe this because in John 14, 26, the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, is neuter, as opposed to personal terms like father and son. So how do we respond? Well, first, if we hold to this line of reasoning, we're going to have to say God himself is an impersonal force because he's referred to as spirit in John 4, 24. But these sects wouldn't want to make that conclusion. Second, the verse that's used in the objection says of the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. Folks, impersonal forces don't teach. So the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. He's a person that we can have a relationship with. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. The Quest invites you to pray the Unity Prayer. Let us pray. My adorable Jesus, may our feet journey together. May our hands gather in unity. May our hearts beat in unison. May our souls be in harmony. May our thoughts be as one. May our ears listen to the silence together. May our glances profoundly penetrate each other. May our lips pray together to gain mercy from the Eternal Father. Amen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160 The Quest. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio today by Steph Ike, Carol Cheersmith, Jack Tyson, and of course, we've got Father Jim Blunt on the phone with us. And Jack, I believe you've got the next question for us. I do. I do. I think I've been elected current events guy on this <laughs> show, right? I always ask about what's what's going on. And, and Father, those, those were great uh, revelations about divine will, and we're definitely going to jump back in into those in a couple minutes. I think Steph and Carol okay. have some questions for you. But this weekend is is Halloween, and yes. and for a lot of folks, it's just you know trick or treating and kids in the neighborhood and, and and that sort of thing. But there is kind of a, a deeper meaning to it, and and other folks have even said you know this year it could even have a, a little deeper meaning. You know, a blue moon and maybe more of a demonic presence and that sort of thing. So if you would touch on that for a second, but also be sure to tell everybody about the, the story you told us about sort of that alternate or alternative celebration that you've had at some of your parishes that are tied not so much into Halloween, but more into All Saints Day. Sure. Thank you. It, you know, it's certainly very current to ask that question. It's coming up in just a couple of days. Uh, Halloween has been, you might say, captured again by the world and infused with darkness. But Halloween is actually a Catholic festival. It's Roman Catholic. And of course, it's, it's an old English term for the Eve of All Saints Day. Hallow means holy or saintly. So All Hallows Eve, the Eve of All the Saints Day. 
It's nothing to do with Satan or demons or goblins or monsters. It has to do with like John Paul and Mother Teresa and our new saint, this little blessed Carlo Acutis. It has to do with holiness, with angels and Our Lady. And so someone, and I think we know who it is, has captured this Catholic festival and made it something terrifying for many kids and something dark and evil. I want to exhort all of our listeners to reject completely this perversion of Halloween. Just as Christmas has been perverted by many, you might say, retailers, so Halloween has been perverted. And, you know, this perversion brings nothing but sadness. Only holiness brings joy. So All Hallows' Eve is all joy Eve. It should be a joyful celebration of light. We do want to warn uh, people it's probably not best to participate in these sort of worldly or dark kinds of ceremonies. I don't even think trick-or-treating is a good idea anymore. We don't know what the neighbor, even two houses down, what they believe and what they do, and even what they might do over the candy and the snacks they give to your children. There have been some nightmares in that direction, by the way. I don't think it's a good idea at all to put our children in harm's way, even the possibility of going to the home of somebody who may be practicing witchcraft or somebody who's, who believes in perversion. and Who knows what's, what they're even going to see when the neighbor opens the door. It's better to let's return this, this festival to its rightful origins and make it something holy. I would say that our children and our teenagers should not dress up like goblins and ghosts and demons and monsters. And I've even seen some dress up like Adolf Hitler. Would you give me a break? No. Let's have our children our teenagers dress up like saints. Have them dress up like St. John Paul or Blessed Carlo Acutis or like St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael or Mother Mary or St. Joseph or something holy and sacred like a priest or a bishop or a pope. We need to return this to its proper origins. And it's better, I would say, to have festivals in our churches. And this is what we started in Central America when I had a parish there. None of our children would go trick-or-treating. We really discouraged that. We would make bags of candy for all of our kids. We'd make them in advance for all of the children attending. We'd have them come in and have a, excuse me, have a contest to see who would be the most accurate, the most beautiful. We'd have little contests for the kids before the big celebration. And they'd have little, like answering questions about the Ten Commandments. And we'd have prizes for almost all the kids, those who got first and second and third place, according to age groups. But then we would have a real festival. We would begin Holy Mass, and all the children, young ones and teenagers, would line up with myself as the pastor. And I would take the smallest little one, usually dressed like a little angel, and put that one on my shoulder. And our choir would sing to the, with full throat, oh, when the saints come marching in. I would march down the aisle <laughs> with all these little saints and big saints with me. And we'd march all the way around the church several times in a circle. <laughs> And you should see the people clapping and smiling. It was so invigorating and so joyful. We would have mass. We'd give prizes at the end of mass to different kids. We'd have each one come up and describe who they were, maybe in one line. I think it was, it was my favorite day of the year every year. It was my favorite day. Not Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. And we do something very similar now in Georgia, where we are with our Catholic homeschooling community. We have our children dress up like saints and angels. 
So I'd encourage all those who are listening to keep the activities around the church and or around the family. Let's not give in to any sort of imitation of darkness. Let's, our children need hope. They don't need more darkness. They need more hope and more joy. And so I want to encourage our, our parents, especially and grandparents, to bring your children into a new place this Halloween. And maybe even buy your children a picture or a statue of their favorite saint as a surprise gift this weekend. We can make this something good. We are not to celebrate what is dark or evil or tempting or even like pretend like it's fun or like it's like harmless. It's not harmless. Satan is behind abortion. He's behind the corruption. He's behind the There's nothing cute about Satan or the demons, nothing cute whatsoever. And even to play it that way, I think, falls into his trap. Just ignore him completely and keep our eyes focused on Jesus, Mary, the saints, and the angels. And let's make our Halloween this year safe and holy and happy. Everything we do should always bring us another step closer to sainthood. Everything we do should bring us one step closer to heaven. That's how we should measure every broadcast, every show, how we should measure every activity, everything we do. Does it bring me closer to Jesus Christ and closer to heaven or not? I would encourage everyone to use that measure and make this All Hallows' Eve something absolutely special. And remember, you can pray a rosary or two and ask Our Lady to help you to make this the best All Hallows' Eve and the safest and the most joyful in the history of your family. Mm. Amen. Good ideas. Good ideas. Father, I am looking at uh, a little note that I noticed Carol wrote uh, to herself, and I didn't. She didn't share it with the with us on the radio, and I thought maybe it'd be fun to have her take that last question and expand on it a little bit because she has a little note in here about um, Jesus sharing something about our suffering, and it's really sweet. And I think a lot of us wonder how Jesus wants us to consider suffering and our suffering for him and the suffering of our families. And so, Carol, do you want to Yeah, maybe just a little preface. I think, you know, we all suffer in our lives and it looks different for each of us. Mm -hmm. But um, as we suffer, um, I can remember years ago, my mother dying. And as she was dying, the pain, she offered up her suffering, uniting it with Christ. And I think in that same vein, we're all called to, to do, to suffer for Christ. And it just re- reminds me of something I read in a book, um, uh, many years ago. It's really the, the 33 days to morning glory, the consecration to the blessed mother. And I think there's a quote in there from, I believe it's mother Teresa. And she's talking about suffering and redemptive suffering. And she says that, um, really that suffering is really n- nothing more than Jesus kissing you. And then she goes on to say that some of us would say, uh, you know, Jesus, will you quit kissing me so much? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that was what it was. So what do you think about that, Father? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's kind of a sweet, sweet thought about. Yes, um, it's absolutely true. The Lord, by the way, kisses me an awful lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of our new saint, Blessed Carlo Acutis. You probably heard of him. He's only 50. Years old, his body is partially incorrupt. It's there in Assisi, and he was beatified just a weekend ago. 
this beautiful, holy young man who actually wrote an exhibit. He was a computer expert. He'd only died in 2006. Computer geek, they called him. He was an expert of the computer. And he actually created a Eucharistic exposition of all the Eucharistic miracles in the history of the church. And by the way, right after Carlo had died, another Eucharistic miracle occurred in South America just a few days later, as if God was confirming this young man's ministry and his mission. But Carlo was a healthy and handsome young man. He was smart. He was athletic. He was very pure. He went to Mass every day and converted his mother and father. He converted them to the Catholic faith. He prayed the rosary every day. And he came up with, unexpectedly, I think it was leukemia. Out of the blue, at the age of 15, quickly, he became very, very sick. He never complained once. Within three days, he died. And he told his beautiful mother, who's now a devout Catholic, you can actually catch Mrs. Akutis on the YouTube right now. She was there at the beatification ceremony just a week ago. But when he became sick with leukemia, um, he said, wow, God has given me like a ticket to heaven. And he says, mama, I offer up all my sufferings for the Pope and for the church. He didn't complain. He offered them with a smile. And so what we're describing there, uh, Ms. Carroll, with, with Mother Teresa as well, is that this is possible even for youth, for teenagers, that we want to have a different view of suffering. And what comes to the, to the fore, I think, as you study these things again and again and again, and Carlo is leading us in the right direction, brothers and sisters, Holy Eucharist in the Mass and in adoration contains every conceivable grace. Every grace is there. And Eucharistic adoration and, and receiving Holy Communion at Mass, all the graces, including living in the divine will, can come to us through adoration. And so we are being pointed that direction. The more we spend time with Jesus, and so I mean not just once a week a quick Mass, we have to prepare for every Mass beforehand. And John Paul said adoration is necessary because the graces we receive at Mass and Holy Communion are so profound, so great, so deep, so divine. There's no way we can absorb them in one hour. He says we need an extra hour of adoration just to receive and absorb the divine graces that are given to us at every Eucharist. We need time to absorb them. We need adoration desperately. And this is the point that I think this wants me to make, is that we have the answer in the Eucharist. Believe me, the grace to receive sufferings well and to receive sufferings with joy comes from the body and blood of Jesus, true God and true man. The graces are already there. As the Bible says, he's won for us every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And all of those blessings are contained in the Eucharist. If we spend more time with our beautiful Jesus in the Eucharist, we will receive every possible grace, including the grace of joy in every circumstance. It's in the Eucharist. Mm, that's beautiful. So, love it. So, Jack, I think you had the next one. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're um, we're we're still 
you know, on, on kind of the, the same topic, but, um, it, you know, within, uh, within the topic of the, the spouse, uh, to truly know Jesus, uh, Louisa said she would suffer any martyrdom to relieve his pain. And uh, Louisa and Jesus shared a very intimate relationship where she could actually feel the pain of Jesus as if she was experiencing it herself. That, that's, a, um, that's a tough one to get your, your arms around. Could you talk to that a little bit in this sort of intimate interior co connection with Christ? Yes, it's really what Louisa experienced. Honestly, that's for all of us. Uh, she really um, was a saint. She's a servant of God now, but she may turn out to be one of the greatest saints of world history. Almost certainly she'll be canonized. I think she's one of the few in the history of the Catholic Church where the Vatican itself commissioned and wrote and published a book about her. She's not even blessed yet. The Vatican itself sponsored a book called The Son of My Will. And so this is part and parcel of sanctity. Now, sanctity, you see, is love. Really, sanctity is love, but it's holy love. It's not dirty love or selfish love, you see. We use the term disinterested love. It's love that loves God for who he is and loves you, my brother and sister, for his sake. It's called charity. It is fun. That's where meaning comes into our life and where joy comes into our life. I was reading a, just last night some excerpts from a book about kindness, not a Catholic book, a book by psychologists. And they discovered, and they're testing around the world from homeless people to multimillionaires. When they gave them opportunities to find joy, they gave them several options, and they would try these different options, like getting more money, or like getting their favorite ice cream, uh, watching their favorite movie, but then also acts of kindness. And do you know that overwhelmingly, with almost no exceptions, all the people on these scientific surveys and studies done by MDs and PhDs, almost to the last one, they all found their greatest joy, some their only joy, in performing acts of kindness. The whole book now has just been released, I think it's called Kindness, by these amazing doctors. They're not Roman Catholic. But they're discovering the truth of the Catholic Church, you might say, from the outside. They're discovering that. That it is precisely love that gives us joy. And what does love do? Well, if I see you, Jack, suffering, I'm going to help you. If I come by and you're on the side of the road with a flat tire, I'm not going to honk my horn and wave at you. I'm going to get out and help you. That love, you might say, embraces the suffering of the beloved. And the one we love the most is God. We love God. We love him. And when God suffers, we suffer. And what makes God suffer? Well, our sins make God suffer. The doorway into this kind of love, where we even taste and embrace the sufferings of the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ, is another ancient devotion. I believe this is something that really should be revived. You know what it's called? The Stations of the Cross. No. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, it's not just for Lent. I think that's a boo-boo to think it's just for Lent. Give me a break. It's for a year-round. Probably every Friday we should try to do it. To do the Stations of the Cross, you enter into the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And th those are the sufferings of God. And you might say that the Father sent the Son 
to suffer for us and with us so we can have an entryway or doorway into what he endures, the Father himself, what he endures. And so I would say do it the Station of the Cross even once, but do it contemplatively. Do it, you know, sincerely. Beloved, your heart's going to break. I'm sorry. Probably by station number five, six, or seven, or eight at the most, you're going to start crying. If you do that with a compassionate heart, and friends, this is good news. If your heart is kind of cold right now or icy, maybe because of the battle of life, I would encourage you, friends, to make the stations of the cross. Come to my chapel. We're outside the Covington. We keep our doors open. Come visit us. We'll let you do the stations of the cross right in our own chapel. We even have a set outside through the forest if you want to do it outside. Come to us, and we, we keep our doors open. We want you to come and pray. But the stations of the cross, beloved, they will break your heart with love for God. And this is part and parcel of love. Love endures and embraces and seeks to lighten the sufferings of the beloved. Now, here's the amazing thing. When you do that and you go home, you have the best sleep of the entire year that <laughs> night. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. We were made for love. We are the children of God who is love, so we are the children of love. It is love and kindness that give us joy. And so, yes, it's very natural for us to want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And what begins with the Stations of the Cross, very quickly, beloved, when we do it sincerely, it starts becoming mystical. It starts becoming mystical. I remember doing it. Once, very contemplatively, when I was a very young man, I was like 19 years of age in my Catholic church in North Carolina, and I suddenly became overwhelmed with God's love, and I began to weep all by myself in the church. I began to uh, knelt down and wept and wept and wept and wept. And when I got up an hour later and I finished the stations, I realized God had just healed me of some interior sorrow. Some, as I identified with his wounds, he identified with mine. As I try to console him, he consoles me because you can't outgive love. You can't outdo God. And so this is a wonderful tool for all of us Catholics and all Protestant Christians as well to pray the holy stations of the cross. Anyone can come, even an atheist. It might break your heart in love for the Savior. So, yes, Brother Jack, uh, this is a, an important part of love, is identifying with and embracing the sufferings of the beloved, whether it's Jesus or your family member, and trying to lighten their load. There is no surer way to grow in godly joy than this kind of love that embraces holy suffering. No possible way that's greater and more sure. Help your brother, and you'll have a smile the rest of the day. Amen. Amen. What another beautiful hour. Thank you, Father Jim, so much for joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. And, you know, if you didn't get to catch the entire episode of Heaven's Light today, or maybe you want to go back and listen to some of the older episodes, you can check those out on our Quest Atlanta app that you can download in the App Store or on Google Play. Uh, just search for Quest Atlanta and download it, and you can find those under Programs on Demand. Or you can go online to thequestatlanta.com and click Programs, and you can find all of the episodes on there as well. Today's episode will be on there later, um, later tonight or tomorrow morning. So give that a check out too. And Father Jim, would you close us in a prayer for today? Sure. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father God, through the Lord Jesus, we have stumbled upon the pearl of great price. O Lord, we deserve nothing, but you have given to us everything. In our holy baptism, you have flooded our poor little souls with divine grace. And now with this new approved revelation, you're inviting us to enter into the grace, not just the grace to enter us, but for us to enter the grace and enter your holy will. Lord, you squander your love upon us. We don't deserve it, but we need it. We love you, and we want to love you even more. Thank you for the grace of Luisa Picaretta. Thank you for her book of heaven. Thank you for this new grace of living within your divine will. We ask that the entire world will be submerged within your divine will, that we become a paradise on earth of love and of joy. Father God, show us now your greatest mercy. May your divine will reign in every human heart. And may we live within your will and your heart forever. May Almighty God bless Atlanta and all of our beloved listeners with the joy of his will and with eternal life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, through Mary's prayers. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Jim. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station. Stay tuned as the Divine Mercy Chaplet is coming up next.